This is Retail Retold, the story of how that store ended up in your neighborhood. I'm your host, Chris Ressa, and I invite you to join my conversation with some of the retail industry's biggest influencers. This podcast is brought to you by DLC Management. First, I'd like to thank one of our sponsors, Credit Intel. Knowing the financial health of retailers is crucial for the success of your retail-related business. That's what Credit Intel is for. Credit Intel analyzes the financial health of hundreds of publicly and privately held retailers in different sectors. With a subscription to Credit Intel, you have access to comprehensive analysis of retailers' financial condition and their expert analytics team. Visit creditintel.com for more information. Welcome to Retail Retold, everyone. Today, I'm joined by Andy Kimmick. Andy is the Vice President of Development for Duck Donuts. He has been in the industry for over 20 years. He's been both on the landlord and tenant side of retail real estate. He brings a wealth of knowledge. I think Duck Donuts is a super interesting brand. I'm excited for him to be here. Welcome to the show, Andy. It's awesome to be here. Thank you for having me on. So Andy, why don't you tell the audience a little bit more about who you are? Sure. Yeah, I would love to. And again, thank you for this opportunity. You know, Duck Donuts is an awesome brand. It's uh, 106 stores strong now. It's growing. Uh, love the product. Um, those are the things that really attracted me to Duck Donuts when I first started looking at the opportunity to have the, uh, the, the product sell itself. It's, it's uh, served warm and, and, uh, and fresh. And really to have the, the you know, the the, the people that are going in, experiencing it, uh, it's just, it's fantastic. It's great to see the growth. We've got a lot of franchisees, a lot of candidates who are looking to join the system. We've got a lot of uh, uh, opportunities in the world of real estate that are being offered to us. So it, it's great to be a part of an emerging brand and it's a strong market. You know, the donut industry at $7 billion and projected to, to grow by another, you know, say $5 billion over the next five, six years. It's It's fantastic to be a part of. In our industry, you and I are always in tune with brands earlier than most consumers just because of the industry. However, I became familiar with Duck Donuts as a consumer. My in-laws have a home in Avalon, New Jersey, and Duck Donuts opened up. And at the time, I had thought it was just like a local donut shop. I didn't realize it was a national brand. When I went in, the the thing that blew my hair back, the little that I do have, (laughs) was that it was made to order and I could choose what I wanted on my donut that day. And it wasn't pre-made and I was blown away by that. And then the chocolate icing that was on my donut was, I had to skip lunch that day, but it was incredible. (laughs) That's better than lunch. (laughs) That's better than lunch. And that's how I became familiar with duck donuts. So, you know what, it's funny you say that because when, when we look at the franchisees that we've got in our system and a lot of these, you know, a lot of the candidates who, who approach us about opening up a location, it's for that very reason. They, they were on vacation. They were in the Outer Banks. They were in Myrtle Beach. They, they were in Pittsburgh or, you know, some Main Street USA. They, they tried the product there and they, they just loved it. I think that that's, you know, from, from our perspective, that's the biggest thing that separates us from, from the competition, how the product is prepared. It, it's made uh, fresh for you uh, to, your, to, to how you want it topped. It's not a matter of 
turning a sign on out front that says, you know, they're, they're hot now, you know, come get yeah. them now. It's every time you walk into that store, it's, uh, you're, you're going to have that same experience. And, you know, from my background, uh, that that's the, the most important thing from that brand, you know, that the, the brand standards and the brand awareness. And, you know, when people walk into a location, regardless if it's in Florida or Avalon, New Jersey, or out in Idaho, it's that same experience. You're going to get that same customer service, that same awesome product. And you're going to walk away just satisfied and glad that you skipped lunch in your case, glad that you did that uh, because it is, you know, it's an awesome treat. It really is. Okay, Andy, I want to pivot. I want to learn a little bit more about Andy for a second. Sure. I've got three questions for you. We call this clear the air. Are you ready? Yes, I'm prepared. Hopefully. (laughs) All right, Andy. Question one. Okay. What is one skill you don't possess, but wish you did? Playing the guitar. And what's interesting about that is, is that I'm, I'm, I'm ambidextrous. I, I don't know if I would play left-handed or right-handed, but yeah, I would say playing the guitar would be, would be one skill that, uh, that I don't have that I'd like to, I'd like to pursue. Do you write lefty, righty? I write right-handed. Um, I can write left-handed. I would like to say the nuns cured me of that when I was young. <laughs> um, I throw left-handed. So I, you know, I eat left-handed. So yeah, I use, uh, I use both. Do you golf? I golf right-handed. And I, I think that that is, I blame that on my dad who, who uh, taught me how to play. So I also blame my slice on him. I, I, I blame my <laughs> lack of uh, putting uh, on him. But, you know, my, my brothers, I have a brother that golfs left-handed. So I think that the first day, if I grabbed his clubs, I probably would have golfed left-handed, but I grabbed my dad's. So I golf right-handed. Interesting. Okay. Very cool. Are you musically inclined? <laughs> no, no. And as anybody who knows, I, I cannot sing. So no, no. Okay. All right. Question two, what is one thing most people agree with, but you do not? I, I, you know, in light of the, the, uh, the all-star game being held yesterday, uh, the, the baseball all-star game, I, I'm an old school. I think that pitchers should hit. I don't agree with the DH. I hate I seeing the DH in the American league. Yeah. Don't, uh, don't agree with, I also don't agree with interleague league baseball either. I think that uh, the all-star game has lost its luster. Um, At the very least, it should be about, you know, it's about the competition, right? It's about the, the rivalries between cities and, and uh, you know, between regions. So, uh, you know, the the Yankees and the the Mets play each other, the the White Sox and the Cubs play each other. You know, I think that that's entertaining, but I don't know to have Pittsburgh play Minnesota and to take games out of the schedule where I'd rather see them play Philadelphia or, or, uh, you know, uh, some other teams in this area. I'd, I'd rather see that. And the, the DH, I don't, I don't know. I mean, if you're a pitcher and you throw the ball at, uh, you know, you throw a 90 mile an hour fastball at somebody's head, you, you should be held to account when you're up to bat and you're now staring at their pitcher. So there's, there's gotta be some accountability there. <laughs> wow. What an incredible answer as a baseball fan. I love getting rid of the DH. I think that is a really interesting concept that's been talked about for years, obviously, yeah. Yeah. but I love that idea. For me, it's not an accountability piece. For me, it would be another element to the game that I think is it's missing. Yeah. The interleague play, I was a huge fan when they started this. I don't know that I would want to see it go, maybe refined personally. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. The, the National League, the National League game. You're talking to someone who grew up in Pittsburgh, so the the National League game 
from a, from a management perspective, there's much more to it than an American League game. You know, if you're subbing out your pitcher and where they're at in the, you know, they're, they're hitting ninth in the lineup, but where they're coming up in the order, you know, you're making double switches and there's timing with that. There, there's just more strategy to a National League game than there is an American League game. And that's, you know, when you got big boppers in the lineup in the American League, it's, uh, you know, I don't know, there, there's probably more, there's probably more fastballs thrown in one league than the other. I don't know that, but I, I don't know. It's to me, it's, it's about the game and it's about, uh, you know, the, the strategies there. And that's, that's one of the reasons why I'd say, you know, do away with the DH. I love the answer. Thank you for sharing. Last question. Okay. When is the last time you did something for the first time? So the last time that I did something for the first time would be my, my in-laws own some property over in Wyoming. And when we were visiting there last summer on vacation, we went uh, horseback riding with the kids. That was something I'd never done before. Very, very cool. How'd you like it? I was, you know what? It was fun. I, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine, you know, obviously you're, you're not in shape to ride a horse. You know, it's, uh, I couldn't imagine riding it for miles on end. You'd be really sore, but I, you know, it was fun. It was fun to take a, a spin around. We had some cowboys there that were helping us out and kids loved it. So I enjoyed it. I, you know, it was, it was fun. I do it again. Let's put it that way. All right. All right. But not for 20 miles. No, no, <laughs> no. When they say walking, you know, saddle story, that's uh, yeah, no, I, I, I couldn't do it. Okay. Well, that was fun. I love the answers. Thank you for sharing. Let's talk a little bit about duck donuts. What is duck donuts up to these days? And how was moving from COVID to a post-COVID world? So, all right. So, two questions there, and I'll I'll, yeah. I'll tackle the the maybe the second one first, and then we'll we'll get back to the the, the COVID because I think it'll uh, the, the the state of affairs, you know, how Duck Donuts is is doing today, because they'll they'll bleed, you know, one into the other. Sure. COVID really, you know, from a business model perspective. Um, you know, really highlighted a lot of things. And I think this is true in the, the retail world. And it was true for us. And that was the need to have other, other ways to get your product into the hands of the consumer. Um, you know, for us, it was with, with storefronts that were not drive-through, it really put an emphasis on our app, ordering through the app, ordering through online, uh, pickup, curbside service, uh, you know, utilizing delivery, you know, Grubhub and, and uh, DoorDash and, and uh, organizations like that. How does it travel? I'm curious. I get it delivered. How does it travel? It travels well because, you know, that turnaround time is going to be fairly quick, you know, between the, between the time that either you pick it up at our door or, um, you know, when, when uh, Grubhub or somebody is, is actually walking into the store, they're made fresh. You know, those orders come in, uh, those donuts are prepared right there with the, uh, with the, with the toppings and um, that, that donut travels very well. And it's it. the beauty of it is because, you know, it's, it's made fresh. Uh, it's made warm. It's made to order. So it's not like you're, you're worrying about something that was prepared you know, hours ago or the day before or something like that. Um, you know, that, that you start to put even more age onto the product. And, you know, you come back to the, the base donut that we use that cake donut Um you know, the, the batter that we use, it's not a, it's not a yeast donut, you know, yeast is activated, continues to, to, um, 
uh, eat away at the at the sugars within the donut, and over time that that donut becomes more stale. You know, it's a it's a cake based donut. It's an awesome product, and so you know, relying on those channels to help build our business, um, it it also gave us you know the the um, as far as additional business models. You know, it really put a light on that. You know, how else are Outside of our traditional real estate, what other ways are we going to be able to get product into the hands of our consumers, not just through the, the channels that I talked about, but through like food trucks and concession trailers and, huh. and um, you know, doing a, uh, a shipping container store over in California. Uh, you know, we're opening our first uh, drive through location here this fall um, here in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. So it, it's, it's also caused Duck Donuts to review the business model um, to see what other opportunities there are for growth. And, uh, you know, that's, that's really one of the exciting things about joining Duck Donuts. You know, it's coming into a situation where it's a young company, uh, first location opened in 07, first franchise location was 2013, 106 locations. Um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a great time to be a part of this this uh, this brand and, and the growth that we're going to be seeing here in the next, you know, three, four, five, six years as we go from just over 100 stores to you know to 300 to 500 stores, you know, it's 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 a great time. A lot there. I got a lot of things running through my head here. So sure. so one, do you know how many franchisees are multi-unit operators? Sure. Yeah. So within that so within that 105 store, 106 stores, we've got about 70 franchisees. So. Quite a few single unit operators. Uh, there are multi-unit operators in the system. The, the company, what's interesting is the company has one company owned store here, you know, near the uh, the headquarters. The uh, the drive-through location will be company owned as we test it, as we prove out that business model. But you know, 90 owned what, 99% of the stores are owned by franchisees. We see franchise concepts all the time, and you've been at some places where you have like massive companies that own like 300 locations. They're a franchisee, but like, they're like a, you know, Carol's and stuff is a company that owns like hundreds of Burger Kings. And we have private equity groups that have gotten into franchising. Do you see this continuing to be this mom and pop operator? And I'm not sure if that's the right characterization or do you see it moving to where you're trying and going to sell packages of 50 to one franchisee? So, you know, a couple of things there. One, you know, would we shy away from a from an operator who wants to come in and, and open 25 locations? I, I don't know. We wouldn't want to, we wouldn't shy away from it, but we would want to understand their, their business plan, their business model for the brand. So what's really important for us, and I think it's important to understand, is that the franchisees that we've got in our system and the, you know, that 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 kind of that ideal franchisee that we look for um, when when we're looking to approve new franchisees to join the system. You know, these are people who are engaged in their local markets. They, they know their local markets. They're involved in the, in the community in a bunch of different ways. Sure. Um, you know, they, they, they understand what it takes to, to build the brand, to, uh, to operate the store. The people who are coming into their, their customers are gonna be neighbors. They're gonna be people that they know. They're gonna be friends. Um, so I think it, it really helps when you've got excuse me, when you've got that connection at the local level, which I think you lose when, um, you know, when you get to that, 
the 30 store, 40 store, 50 store. I, I, I dealt with large franchisees. You um, have, yeah. You know, You're moving from the small business model to a corporate conglomerate almost. Sure. And, and I'm not saying it can't be done. And that's why I'm saying we would entertain it. You know, I, I, I dealt with, um, you know, some, some very large franchisees at Annie Ann's and Focus Brands that did a fantastic job of, of operating their stores because they understood the brand. They understood what made the brand successful. They understood the customer service. The, uh, the quality of the product and the need to make sure that that product is being delivered uh, warm and fresh. And so they understood that. So they had um, infrastructure in place. You know, they had uh, general managers, managers, people who were compensated well based on performance of the store, um, based on their, the, the marks that they would get through their customer, uh, through the secret shop. Um, and the the the, um, the customer feedback. So I, I could see where that you know we would trend towards that um, here at Duck Donuts. But you know we really enjoy having um, you know having that that kind of franchisee be a part of the system. And you know and, and when you've got multiple operators, say in the state of I don't know, Pennsylvania, because we're here in Pennsylvania. You've got multiple operators, and there's real estate opportunities that, that come available. Then you've got you've got different franchisees who are interested in that particular site, and then you're in the position of selecting um, the best franchisee who's going to fit in that in that store with that store, and is going to be the best opportunity to drive the brand and, and drive the sales with that location. Well, thank you for sharing that good perspective there. When you look at the landscape of, you mentioned the $7 billion donut market and growing. <laughs> yeah, it's huge. Mind-blowing. I think of donuts, I'm thinking of like Dunkin' Donuts or, or yeah. Dunkin' now and shop and brands. Are these who you guys think are competitors when you're analyzing a market? You know, no, no. And I'll tell you why. So, and, and Dunkin', you, you just you started to say Dunkin' Donuts, you know, they're, they're a coffee shop that sells donuts now. Yeah, you know, they, they've rebranded. No, we don't. And because the, the Duck Donuts, um, that brand is, is so different. It's made to order. You know, it's not your, your typical walk in. You've got the donuts on the, on the shelf, um, you know, that have been sitting there for however long. It's, it's uh, you know, you, you look at it and you think, well, how many preservatives are in there? And, you know, how long will this keep? And, you know, will this... Will this last? And you know, it, it's a different, it, it's a different mindset. You know, when you walk into a Duck Donuts, you know that that product is going to be made fresh and it's going to be made to order for you as you're standing there, um, or it's going to be delivered, you know, warm and fresh to you at at uh, at your store. And it's it's a different experience altogether, and that's why you know you you talk about the donut, you know, that category being seven billion. And what it's going to grow to here in the next few years. I really think that, you know, for Duck Donuts, it's really, you know, for us, it's it's disrupting um, that category. Even when you look at, uh, when you think about Rustigilio, who founded uh, the company, this is someone who grew up going to the Jersey Shore, uh, was used to Ocean City and Browns and O's and, you know, getting a, a warm cinnamon sugar donut while he was there on the boardwalk. But then with his family going to the Outer Banks, you know, there was nothing there. He could have gone into the, the bakery at the grocery store and grabbed something that, you know, again, is a similar experience to a, to a Dunkin' Donuts or a Krispy Kreme or something like that. But he wanted that something different. He, he really believed in that idea. And so, you know, he opened his first location in Kitty Hawk and 
and duck, they almost open simultaneously. That's thus how we got the name Duck Donuts. For those of you who don't know how we, uh, how we got that name. Um, and that was, you know, for him, it was creating that business model, it was creating something different that, uh, you know, has, has grown in time to the point where, you know, we're at 100 and store strong today and, and looking to, to get to that next uh, benchmark, 300, 500, you know, what, what the future holds. Great insights there. And I know this is a big one. When you go to the market and you're talking to franchisees and you're selling the brand and you, I'm sure you have days where you bring franchisees to the corporate office. What do they yeah. call those days? Discovery days. So yeah, people get catchy names for them, but boil catchy. down, it's a discovery day. Right. One of the things I know franchisees look for is the AUV compared to peers. And how is the AUV of Duck Donuts versus the peers? Well, I don't know that you can compare us, you know, to a to a, a Dunkin' Donuts or to a, uh, uh, to a Krispy Kreme. I think that... You know, when, when you look at us and what we're attempting to do, you know, we're the, the largest made to order donut, you know, in the category, uh, the Duck Donuts brand. So, you know, to have, to, to say that, you know, our goal is to have a Duck Donuts on every street corner uh, in Manhattan or, you know, that, that's not what we're, that's not what we're about. We're really trying to protect the franchisees. We're trying to protect the brand. We're trying to grow smart. Uh, you know, there's wisdom behind the locations that that we're that we're looking for that we're engaging in those conversations to to uh, open up a location. We're we're looking to benefit our franchisees. Um, you know, our our uh, when you look at an FDD and you look at the uh, you know um, you look at the back of the FDD with all the litigation. That that's not what we're about. You know, there's other brands that. Would, would put a location right across the street from another. And that's not, that's not what we're about. We're about driving our average unit volumes and, and trying to give our franchisees as much opportunity um, to grow, to be successful. And so, you know, the average unit volume, I mean, I can tell you, Chris, that, you know, obviously COVID put a dent into our business. Um, we're up 30% over last year. Wow. Uh, and we're up three, almost 4% over 2019, which, 2019 was a good year. So, um, you know, I can say that we're, we're trending in a great direction. We're trending positively, um, which is fantastic for the brand. Is the AUV higher than a Krispy Kreme or a Dunkin'? No, no. I mean, we're, we're going to be in that $630,000 range. So, you know, compare that to, you know, to what they do. Um, remember, I mean, that's, they're, they're mass producing in essence, right? Right. You know, they're mass producing their, their, their beverages, their, their product, their baked, you know, the, the donuts um, that they serve. We're about the, you know, we're, we're going to be more custom. Uh, we're going to be more tailored to that local market. And that's so, <laughs> one thing I didn't, yeah. one thing I didn't mention was um, catering. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of catering that our franchisees perform. I, I've heard about uh, in, in the time that I've been here, I know that they've catered weddings, they cater. Wow. Birthday parties. Yeah. I can oh. imagine, you know, having, having a wedding and, and uh, you know, serving, serving uh, uh, duck donuts to uh, you know, to the, the bridal party and to the, the really guests, cool. you know, but they're, they're doing it. And I think it speaks to, you know, why donuts are, are exploding now, why that category is exploding now, why it's, why it's so interesting. And there's 200 million people in the U S who eat donuts, which I was blown away when I saw that number. Um, I couldn't imagine 200 million people eating eating donuts on a regular basis. Yeah, I mean that's that's significant. Wow. Uh, and, and when you think about you know when when you think about how we approach 
business um, at the local level with our franchisees, just like what you said, you thought it was a, a one-off brand. I did. You know, that's the, you know, that's, that's the, that's the right, you know, the expectation that someone's going to walk in and get something that's, that's uh, regional, local to them. That that's what they want. So that millennial snacker, the mom with the kids, uh, you know, that that's that's the experience that they're looking for. That's the product and the taste that they're looking for. Yeah, I would tell you it is a premium product for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It is a premium product. There is no doubt about that. Excellent insights on duck donuts. I really appreciate you going through it. I'm excited to see what you guys do. Glad to hear the growth story up over 2019. Awesome to hear. And now a message from one of our sponsors. Blue Sky Utility is a trusted solar partner of large national REITs and retail brands. Blue Sky Utility develops, constructs, and operates tailored self-generation solar solutions with a focus on the multi-tenant retail real estate environment. Blue Sky combines extensive engineering knowledge with financial structuring expertise to create custom solutions, providing tenants and landlords with programs that are both environmentally sustainable and value accretive. With over a decade of experience, Blue Sky Utility has saved retailers and landlords millions of dollars on energy and capital improvement costs while helping partners meet their ESG goals. Active on both the East and West Coasts, Blue Sky Utility is expanding its footprint across the U.S. and looking forward to partnering with you. Please visit blueskyutility.com to learn more. I want to move to the story. You have a story about a location that opened somewhere. So what brand and what's, what town are we going to? Yeah. So, you know, maybe if we do this again, you know, in however many months from now, I'll have a, a story to share with you about duck donuts, but sure. But the, uh, the story that I'm going to share with you dates uh, back to my time with uh, Annie Ants, Annie Ants pretzels. Okay. When, when I, so I began my career at Annie. What Ants town are we in? Uh, we're, we're in Orlando. So Orlando. This, this, yeah. So this location is in Orlando. When I started my, my career with Andy Ann's, it was in the operations department and um, gave me a great foundation for understanding the, the, the brand, you know, interacting with the franchisees. It, it was uh, it was a great experience. And I transitioned into real estate. First uh, region was the Southeast region. It was the most mature. People would say, oh, I don't know how many deals you're going to get down there. You know, we got a lot of stores already. So for me, it was, uh, you know, coming in and trying to find, you know, what, what that next um, business model, the next evolution of, of Annie Ann's was going to look like. And it was about that time that outlet centers were really, they hadn't exploded. They, you know, premium outlets and Tanger, you know, we take it for granted today, but back 2004, 2005, outlet centers still had that kind of a connotation of cardboard boxes on the ground that, you know, you went through and the, the sleeve on your polo shirt the left sleeve would be longer than the right. Right. <laughs> and so there was a, an outlet center on International Drive on iDrive that uh, was small. It was owned by Bells. It, it flipped over to Prime, um, uh, Prime Outlets, who, you know, that's a brand that, that no longer exists, but uh, Prime had bought them. And, you know, I, I, I looked at it and I thought, yeah, I think, you know, it's outdoor center. I think in any ends, you know, gear, getting away from that traditional enclosed mall, uh, business model. I think any hands would, would uh, potentially do well here, but it was a matter of finding the right, you know, the right location with, within the, within the center. And there wasn't anything available. It was pretty small. Um, 
Prime did a, a huge expansion and trying to find a space that was in our, you know, in that sweet spot of, of size, you know, that five to 800 square feet was, was really difficult. Um, and they leased it, they leased it up quickly. There wasn't, there wasn't anything in there that I thought, you know, would, would, um, you know, would lend itself well to a successful Annie Anne's. And so fortunately, um, for me anyways, there was a, a restaurant, a local restaurant that was right at Maine and Maine. And this was about the time that uh, Prime was bought out by premium outlets. So this got reflagged as a, as a premium outlet. So this is in the, the 2011 range. So think about it, 2005, 2011. Yeah, that's wow. every time I'd fly to Florida and go look at, go look at space and uh, visit with franchisees, I'd drive by there to see what we could do. And you know, maintain the relationship with the uh, with the different deal makers to see what uh, would come of it. So, you know, here we are in this this six year window. So, you want to talk about you know patience and perseverance. And there was a, a local restaurant there that was right at Maine and Maine. They had opened up. I talked to the operator because it seemed like the space was was bigger than what he needed. So I said, hey, you know, maybe we could carve out a, an Annie Anne's. And while this conversation is going on, he goes he goes uh, bankrupt. And uh, he closes. He closes the store. So I called up the, uh, the the deal maker and I said, "Hey, you know who's who's on the space and uh, uh, you know who's looking to come in." And so I heard that Polo and and Gap was looking to expand. And I said, "Okay, look, you've got a you've got a an entryway that's out that's exterior, but it's under a a, a tower." I said, "Why don't we do a 200 square foot kiosk? We can pull the utilities because it was a restaurant. Pull the utilities out of the space. We'll figure out the storage piece." So took a lot of convincing, as you can imagine, dealing with Simon um, to, uh, to, to entertain that, that idea. Um, it wasn't budgeted space for them, which, which really helped the cause. Um, so then it was, it was selling on that side and then finding the franchisee, you know, internally who would buy into that idea of, you know, this is a, definitely a non-traditional spot. So and I found that, you know, they, they, they've got other operations, other locations in and around Orlando, uh, visited the site, toured it with them. Uh, they bought into the idea that, you know, even at 200 square feet in an outdoor building in Orlando, um, you know, with thunderstorms after, you know, every afternoon in the summertime, they bought into that idea. They could see the vision. Uh, they could see, you know, the idea that they could uh, push the, the volume out. And uh, we did the deal. And it's... Wow. Uh, it's it opened up in 2013, uh, late 2012, early 2013. So they're they're going to be coming up on their their 10 year lease, but very successful store for them. Probably I don't know top top three four stores in their uh, in their portfolio of maybe 90 or 180 in stores. Oh my god! Yeah. yeah. So you know, very happy, very happy they did it. And every time I go to Orlando and I go look at that store, I think to myself, you know. That is because of me that that thing is uh, that that location that store is sitting there. So, what a uh, what an excellent story about creativity, patience, perseverance. Yeah. So I want to unpack it a little bit. So I think the message about you identified the market and the real estate, but the message about finding the right location is point well taken, right? I don't know that most people want to wait six, seven. The the reality is it was almost a decade before site was identified before they opened the doors. That's a long time. Some would argue, well, did you miss out on market share? And I, 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 right, what sales did you miss during that period of time that you didn't you know, execute? But 
when you say now that it's a top location out of the 90 that that operator has, I think the point is well taken that when you know your brand and you know what works from a real estate perspective, sticking to that makes sense. However, that doesn't mean that you can't get creative to make it happen. Yeah, that's right. And change the game. One of the things that came to my head when you started thinking and saying, well, Simon was actually thinking about doing an expansion into the restaurant versus leasing it to you. Did the discussion or thought process come that to get the real estate that you might buy the lease out of bankruptcy? You know, it was so expensive. You know, the volume of square footage in that restaurant, you know, they, they had polo, you know, they were getting them teed up. Uh, they were getting gap teed up for their expansion. So I, I knew that it was just way too big for us to try to bite off. And when you're competing with, you know, brands, you know, national retailers like that, that have, uh, you know, relationships that, you know, maybe they're trying to get something done, you know, in, in the Simon portfolio in another state. So you're, you're dealing with, you know, forces there that I recognized and understanding our business model. I knew that for the rent that we would end up paying for that spot, that it was best to, to go with this, you know, 200 square foot outdoor kiosk. And that was, that was going to be our play that, that understanding recognized that we would never be able to compete with the uh, with the polos of the world. So now I, I, you know, when you go there and you walk uh, that that center on I drive and you see that Annie Ann's sitting there at Maine and Maine, I'm sure more than one person has looked at it and thought, just like you know how we started, how did how did that get there? Annie Ann's pretzels, how were they able to get that 200 square foot space smack dab next to Polo, uh, you know, in this tower area? Um, how were they able to do that? Well, well, that's how it was done. I have more questions. <laughs> Go right ahead. I got answers, hopefully. You mentioned one of the innovations of Duck Donuts kind of accelerated through the pandemic was the online ordering, mobile ordering. Yep. I've seen all these like QSR stats where people are like, we're at 5% mobile ordering and we're trying to push that to 10. Is there a strategy internally? Where are you guys at today? Has it settled out somewhere? Do you guys know where you're at? You know, what percentage of our sales are coming from mobile versus walk-in? Well, you know, as far as settling down, that that hasn't that hasn't happened because you're going to have stores and states that have opened sooner than others. So you've got people who are out and about, you know, able to get back into a store that's reopened who wanted to get out, who wanted to experience that in person again, uh, that, that uh, you know, the, the ordering of the donuts. So there, there's going to be some states that are going to be, you know, ahead of the game uh, than others. So that the jury is still out on where this is going to end up um, ultimately landing. But I think it comes back to understanding our business model and really just trying to make sure that our franchisees, you know, are, are successful. And how does that look? And what does that look like, you know, a year from now, two years from now, as we as we venture down other business models, you know, the food trucks and the drive-throughs and the, the container stores, uh, the shipping container stores, you know, That's really models like models like that, you know, as you expand your reach and you grow the brand, um, you know, that's why, you know, when you look at average unit volumes, average unit volume for a traditional store is this, you know, an average unit volume for a food truck is is that, average unit volume for a concession trailer is going to be this. You know, ultimately, how successful are we? You know, how much money are the franchisees making? You know, what, yeah. um, what what's that return on investment look like? And, and uh, you know, that occupancy that we're paying from a rent perspective with with the landlords, you know, what, what does that look like? You know, it's, 
it's always monitoring that business model to make sure that we're, we're growing, we're healthy, and we're making the right decisions. As franchise brands grow, and you know this more than most people, they start to explore different opportunities to extend the reach. Yeah. And you all are doing that. And I think you're being innovative. The shipping container and food truck, I think is really spot on for the brand. I totally get it. It makes a lot of sense. Has there been discussion about, and it's probably not today because you're still at 106 units and you got to get some more, but has there been discussion with what the other brands in franchise world have done like food halls and airports and all those types of things? And I know you're very familiar with that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I am. You know, from my past experience, you know, certainly have had opportunities to, to, to work on that kind of real estate. It, it's knowing our demographic, knowing our customers and where are those customers at? Uh, it, it's the analytics, it's the, you know, the cell phone data, the mobile analytics, it's, it's those types of things and understanding, you know, the, the DMAs that we want to grow in. So you mentioned two things before, obviously millennials seem to love donuts so that, yeah. and, 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 the local feel made to order premium brand. Yeah. Obviously, you mentioned the mom. Is that like the core demographic, those two cohorts? Yeah. Uh, and office heroes. You know, as people are now getting back into the office, you know, in those oh. states that, you know, it, it, it's the stopping and grabbing a dozen donuts on the way into the office. It's, uh, you oh. know, grabbing something and grabbing a, a, a treat in the, in the afternoon. I, I think that for me personally, I don't, I've always enjoyed, you know, like a dinner time. I've enjoyed a, an omelet, pancakes. I could eat breakfast all day long. And I think that there's that mindset, you know, over the past, you know, few years where um, traditionally foods that were associated with breakfast are now being enjoyed all day long. And I think when you look at the the dessert concept as well with, with duck donuts, I, I think it's filling, you know, some different some different tastes there. Donuts have been around forever. You know, they've been around for, for decades and decades and decades. So donuts aren't going anywhere. The how they're presented and packaged and all that might change a little bit. But you know, the the that indulgent treat, um, you know, at our price point, that, that's always going to be, that's always going to be there. So then it's a matter of okay, well, building off of that idea, you know, how are we looking to grow? What what's the next, you know, what's that next step for us? And understanding the, the demographics and understanding who are our customers certainly feeds into that. Well, that is a great spot, I think, to end. That was a great closing right there on <laughs> Duck Donuts. And I think you mentioned the word disrupt earlier, and you mentioned donuts have been around forever. I think Duck Donuts has disrupted the donut market, and they've been innovative on a market that's been probably stale for a long time. Oh, that's Duck a good donut, one right there. And Duck Donuts has been uh, part of the donut revitalization and making it an exciting segment. So kudos to you all. Good Thank luck you. in the new role. And I, I, I think uh, you're going to be an excellent addition for them. I appreciate that. The last part of the show, I got three fun questions for you. We call it retail wisdom. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's hit it. All right. Question one, what extinct retailer do you wish would come back from the dead? So um, I grew up with a, a department store called Kaufman's. It was a regional, I don't know, you're out of Jersey, so I don't know if you uh, remember. I'm Kaufman. familiar though. Yeah, familiar with the brand. And Kaufman's was a was a regional player. They were bought up by uh, by Macy's. And um, the reason why I miss Kaufman's, my, my mom would always bribe me to go shopping with her at the mall. And uh, so, you know, I've got fond remembrances of, of Kaufman's going to Westmoreland Mall in Western Pennsylvania and then downtown 
Pittsburgh, you know, Christmas time to go check out the uh, the storefront. Uh, so that's, you know, I've, I've got great remembrances of that. And I also remember my mom saying when, when Macy's bought them out and, and reflagged them and got away with the more regional uh, apparel and, you know, apparel and uh, goods that were in there and went to, you know, just kind of that broad, you know, across the board uh, ordering that Macy's does. I remember her saying, I will never step into a Macy's store. So, and she did. Wow. So that was, uh, yeah, that's okay. why that sticks out in my mind. Great answer. I don't think we've ever heard that on the show. So great answer. Question two, what is the last item over $20 you bought in a store? Oh, uh, well, you know what? That's an easy one. So I, we've got a smoker and I, I like to, uh, I like to smoke, uh, you know, ribs and pork shoulder and brisket and all that kind of good stuff. So I, we've, we've got, uh, we've got buddies coming in this weekend for, a, for a gathering. So I went last week and bought, um, mesquite and hickory chips. I usually smoke with wood. Um, but I, you know, it's, it, it's, it can be challenging to control the temperature and the smoke and all that. So I, I thought I'd, I'd, I'd try the chips. So I'll let you know on that. The jury, the jury I'll, I'll know this weekend whether or not it's going to be successful. But uh, we, we went to a local hardware store to uh, to get the uh, to get the chips. So yeah, that was that was the last purchase over twenty bucks. Okay. And last question: If Andy and Chris were shopping at Target, <laughs> and I lost you. <laughs> what aisle would I find you in? <laughs> so other than making a PA announcement, looking for <laughs> yes. you to meet me at the front. Uh, you know, after this conversation, you know, for the last hour about about food, hey, you'd find me in the the, the snack food. You, you'd Got see it. me with the, uh, you know, with the uh, the candy bars and the, uh, you know, all, all that good stuff. Yeah, my goodness, yeah. Well, now I know, so that's great. <laughs> Listen, this has been excellent. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Great insights. Excited for you. Excited for the brand. And we'll have to stay in touch and, you know, see where our paths cross. Definitely. I love it. Thanks for reaching out. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah. Thank you, man. Thank you for listening to Retail Retold. If you want to share a story about a retail real estate deal that you were a part of on our show, please reach out to us at Retail Retold at DLCMGMT.com. This show highlights the stories behind the deals from all perspectives. So it doesn't matter if you are a retailer, broker, entrepreneur, architect, or an attorney. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Retail Retold so you don't miss out on next Thursday's episode.